Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Lord, as you discuss in today's sermon text, so we ask you to use the words of this sermon to make our hearts good soil for the ready reception, growth, and fruit of your word. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to the Apostle Matthew as recorded in chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. To remind you of that account, I will read the first three verses. That same day, Jesus left the house and was sitting by the sea. A large crowd gathered around him, so he stepped into a boat and sat down while all the people stood on the shore. He told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when you think about it, if the seed really is the word, what rips our hearts open? That's the law. The law tells us we're sinners who need to be saved. What then plants our heart and flourishes? That's the gospel. The good news that while we could not save ourselves, God became a man and he did 100% of the work to save us. Now, as I look at this parable, I have to admit to you, you can see it crescendos from somebody who absolutely rejects the word to somebody through whom the word is just flourishing. Uh, with the exception of the, of the very first one, somebody who absolutely rejects the word, I have to admit, there's been times in my life where I can see myself as that soil. And so seeing that in my own life, I know the same must be true for others as well. So today we will ask the question, how receptive are you being towards God's word? And with that, we will start at verse 3. And I'll be preaching on my own translation to bring out a few things that are there. Then Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Pay attention. The sower went out to sow seed. Now while he was sowing, some of the seed fell along the path, and so the birds came and gobbled them up. Today we have sidewalks. But the farmer never even plowed on this path in certain aspects because it's the path. It's hard dirt that's packed down. The seed is not put into the soil. It lays on the top and it just is bird feed. And Jesus explains about this in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not comprehend it, then the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This person is the one in whose case the seed was sown alongside the path. I think the greatest example of this in Scripture in the Old Testament is Pharaoh. God sends Moses to Pharaoh. And if you look at the original request, it was, let my people go for about a three-day journey to worship me. No. God sends one plague after the other that attacks more than one Egyptian god. Every plague, every plague showing your gods are powerless against the real, true God. No. Eventually, the, the people, the citizens of Egypt tell Pharaoh, please, just let these people go while we still have a nation able to be salvaged. No. Ultimately, Pharaoh ends up drowning in the Red Sea, right? It gets to a point where Pharaoh resisted the word so much that God said, fine, have it your way. Remember in our Old Testament lesson, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, speaking for God, says, my word will not return to me empty-handed, when we resist the word enough, God finally says, as he did to Pharaoh, fine, from here on out, my word will only harden your heart. You really have to resist the word to get God to that point. 
And a good New Testament example is Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed our Lord. Think about it. He got to do miracles. The Lord used his mouth to tell others there was a Savior and plant a seed in their hearts so that they would become believers. But Judas loved something way more than he loved the Lord. He loved money. The devil found a heart that was willing to be taken over, and he entered Judas's heart. Don't feel sorry for Judas. Judas got to literally get to proclaim and see people brought to face all those miracles and still resisted that word. Now, there were others that the plow just didn't seem to go over a hard-trodden path. And a great example at the New Testament is the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, why, they knew they were saved by following the rules and the regulations. Nobody loved a rule and a regulation more than a Pharisee. And the law, if, when it's proclaimed in its severity, it rips the heart open and says, following the rules and regulations will not save you because you do not follow the rules and regulations. You break them once, that's the Ten Commandments, and you're damned. And yet the Pharisee refused to hear it. There was another person, very po another group of people very famous in the New Testament, and that was the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees, again, they knew that miracles couldn't possibly happen. They denied the existence of, of angels and in the resurrection. Science disproved the Bible for them. I don't know what they actually were believing in. But the truth of the matter is, when the law skipped over their heart, they didn't care because they were already the judges of the Word of God. They were already picking and choosing what they decided to like and dislike. And of course, these two groups formed the Sanhedrin that was supposed to be leading the Israelites to follow Jesus. And when the Savior came and he rose a man from the dead, they said, that's it, we've got to kill this guy. And following them, there was a famous Pharisee, a famous Pharisee named Saul, who he knew he was saved by following the rules and regulations. And he was doing a pretty good job at it. And zeal, zeal for those rules and regulations that he thought was the word of the Lord, let him, he got permission. The Roman government now was allowing the Jewish people, to kill Christians in Jerusalem for being, as the Jewish would call them, a heretical sect. So he's on his way to Damascus with that hard heart, and the Lord had a sharp plow blade. He dug deep with the law and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who am I, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And that man's heart that was one time that trodden soil became beautiful soil became the soil at the end, became one of the greatest, if not the greatest evangelists in history. How receptive are you being towards God's word? Is your heart a hardened path? I know it seems weird because I'm preaching to the choir today and I highly doubt it's any of you, but I have in times as a pastor come to people and find out, well, I went to church so my spouse would be happy, so my spouse wouldn't nag at me, but now that my spouse has gone to heaven, I'm done with these kinds of things. There are reasons why people can come and be hardening their heart against it. And if by chance, and I highly doubt it, that is you today, I'm talking to you, keep hearing the word. It will rip that heart open with the law and it will plant the good news of salvation in Christ. Second kind of soil, the second heart comes to us in verse 5. And some other seeds fell upon the bedrock where it didn't have much soil and it sprang up immediately because it didn't have deep soil. Yet after the sun came up, it was scorched and it was dried up since it did not have a root. Now, this often gets translated as rocky soil, but what it's saying is there is a bedrock underneath and there's just enough soil that's blown in on top. The plow goes over it, but it's really not much deeper than the plow blade. 
We see this in Wyoming because it's, it's not the plow that, that the seed gets planted and then the next day when the sun rises, that's it. It's, it's planted and it grows until you get to the long days of summer when you don't have so much rain. And because that root can't get any deeper into the soil, it can't draw the water out it needs and it withers and dies. And so we're told in verse 20, And the one in whose case the seed was sown upon the bedrock is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he does not have the root in himself. Certainly it is there for a short time, then affliction or persecution happen because of the word and he is immediately ensnared. He's tripped up. Those snares that grab animals and hold them till the hunter can come or the animal dies or the hunter can come and take the animal away. Persecution or affliction. Now, I can think of a time in my life when my heart was really flirting with being this soil. I'd gone to work at one of my more well-known former occupations. And the guys I worked with, not the guys I was guarding, the guys I worked with, my dad used to joke, there's murderers, rapists, and thieves, and then there's the inmates. Because the caliber of morality was not good, and a lot of that was just the product of the environment. Oh, they found a good Christian boy and they like to tell filthy jokes. They like to tease and have their good time. So I hid my Christianity. Yeah, there's the persecution and affliction. That's it. That's all it takes. I cursed worse than anybody else and told even filthier jokes. And then one day an inmate says, I got to ask you a question about the Bible. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What makes you think I'm a Christian? The law ripped open my heart. I'd been hiding it. And he said, you try to hide it but we can tell it. So my heart has been this soil. And you think of the person who's afraid to share the good news with their neighbor, the good news of salvation in Christ, to encourage their neighbor when and their spouse are fighting or when they find out they've got a disease because they don't want to have an impact with the neighbor. After all, you've got to live next to this person. To the person who's afraid to post encouraging words or tell somebody you need God who loves you dearly uh, because they don't want to lose their job for something they've posted on social media. Well, let me tell you about a group of people who started out as shadow soil. We now call it Palm Sunday, the Sunday morning that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the crowds were singing Hosanna, which is transliterated Aramaic to save us, please. And they tore down palm branches and laid their own cloaks down as the Savior came in. And yet a few days later on what we now call Good Friday, many of those people who had stripped palm branches and cried out, Hosanna, save us, please. When he's standing before Pilate, and most of them would have thought he was there to beat the Romans up and chase them out of town. But when he was standing before Pilate, they cried out, crucify, crucify. Their hearts were shallow soil. But brothers and sisters in Christ, praise the Lord. That's not the end of the story, is it? The good news of salvation in Christ has a way of deepening soil and blasting through bedrock. And 50 days later, 10 days after the ascension, as the apostles and many other disciples were there in Jerusalem waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit when he came, there were large crowds and Peter spoke up and he told them, you killed the Savior. And they said, what are we to do? And he said, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit resulting in forgiveness. This promise is for you and your children. And the largest mass number of conversions happened that day. Yes, some of those people who were converted that day had shouted both Hosanna and crucify and yet still became believers. Is your heart shallow soil? 
We see this especially in Christian churches. You can watch services that are designed especially just to whip up emotions because people want to feel saved instead of hear the promise of his word that they are saved. And so songs that basically say, Jesus, you love me and I love you over and over and over again with no depth are are sung and things are done just to whip up emotions. But, you know, there's a scientific principle in layman terms that goes what comes up must come down. And it's sad. Those people who can seem so full of fire and emotions for the Lord can come home in an hour or two later when those emotions crash, be in the depths of hell. Or think of prosperity theology where people teach if you give enough offerings and come to church enough times that Jesus is going to make you healthy, wealthy and wise and, and, and ignore those words of scripture that Jesus says, whoever wants to follow me must deny himself and take up his cross it means they are going to be persecuted. I've helped Christians who have been the victims of charlatan preachers who gave them a false hope saying, are, are you poor? Are you broke? Is, is things tight? Then scrape every spare dime you can and give it to the insert Bobby Smith Barker Jones ministry or whatever. Write that check out and, and in three years, Jesus is going to give you back three times. And, and, and he didn't. Jesus said, no, it's time you learn a lesson. I'm mostly concerned about your soul. I will provide for your bodily needs, but that does not mean you're going to just prosper by this worldly ways. In fact, that might send you to hell. Sometimes that plow blade cuts deep. Then Jesus does come and say, but I love you and I will make sure you're taken care of. But most of all, I have saved you. You are taken care of eternally. The next kind of soil, as having seen the hardened path in the shallow soil, we're told in verse 7, and some other seeds fell upon the thorns. Then the thorns grew up and they choked the seed. Now, the picture here is, the thorn seed is in the soil. If the farmer had seen the thorns, he'd have taken care of them, right? Pastor Spouty before me had quite a green thumb and he made two gardening boxes. We planted a tree in one of them and there's too much shade now, so very little grows there. The other box every year, I plant squash and pumpkins. And it becomes a race. This year with all the rain and other things, kind of ignored it after I planted it. And all these weeds grew up. And the weeds started to choke my pumpkins and squashes. They were coming. Literally, one of the weeds is like a vine. It wrapped itself around it, uh, several, and I had to start cutting it off. Well, unfortunately, I ruined one of my squashes, thinking, all right, I got it, and pulling. But, you know, as a side note, an, an amazing thing is it's going to be here. It's already starting to get there. But if I can keep those down after, uh, after we get into late July, those pumpkins and squash have grown so much that they choke the weeds. Well, Jesus tells us about those weeds that are growing up next to the seed. He says in verse 22, And the one in whose case the seed was sown in the thorns is the man who hears the word, and yet the worry of this age and the delusion of its wealth chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Yeah, brothers and sisters in Christ, old Pastor Sherman, before he studied to be a pastor, was guilty of this one too. Uh, Didn't have enough money, trying to make ends meet, worked a lot of overtime, worked two jobs, went to school full-time and everything, while working a full-time job and a part-time job. And guess what? When Sunday morning came, Pastor Sherman was too tired to go to church. I've been this soil too. You know, the disciples one time turned to the Lord, the ones who would be the apostles, and they said, we've left everything for you. Now, in their particular case, they're living a hand-in-mouth existence at that time. Jesus assured them, you know, they're not going to get rich doing this, but he said, if you've given your life to sharing my word, the good news of salvation in me, the gospel, will support you. 
So in the disciples' case, that's all they needed to know. They didn't have to go back because when you think about it, like Peter, his brother Andrew, James, his brother John, they had a business that put a roof over your head. They were fishermen. If you were a, a Jewish man, these were the kinds of guys you wanted your daughter to marry. And then they just walked away to follow the Lord. But they had to leave those worries behind and trust in the gospel. But there's another man in the scriptures in the New Testament who comes up to the Lord. He was a rich young man. And he says, good Savior, you know, basically in the long story, what, what must I do to be saved? You know the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, he says, all these things I've done. The Lord looked at him and loved him. The guy's truly struggled. In his particular case, though, there was one place where his heart was clinging to something else. And Jesus uses the law to point it out. He says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. In that particular man's case, his God was his wealth. So what did he do? Having that, that plow blade ripping open the soil of his heart, did he say, amen, this is eternal life, yeah, I'm doing this? Nope. He walked away sad because money was his God and he was not going to give it up. End of discussion. And we can see it today where it doesn't necessarily have to be wealth. We live in Wyoming. If you can live with the wind, this is an outdoor playboy's paradise, isn't it? And I'm not talking, you know, all of us take a Sunday in our Christian freedom where we go camping or something like that. But let's admit it, we, we have people in our state that all summer long they can't be bothered to go to church because they're camping and fishing. When the fall hits, they can't be bothered to come hear the Word of God because they're hunting. When the winter hits, they can't be bothered to hear the Word of God because they're snowmobiling, skiing, etc. And then in the springtime, they're fishing again and doing other things. Yeah. That's not even worries of this world. It's just the things this world has to offer. And we're all, God says, enjoy my creation. It's a blessing to us. So long as we let that word nourish our souls and make it a priority. Well, let me tell you about a man in the New Testament, a man who had the worries and cares of the world. He was in a prominent position, as about a prominent position as a Jewish person could get into. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. After Jesus had been baptized and tempted by the devil and everything, the first time he goes to Jerusalem to enjoy the Passover feast, this man, Nicodemus, meets with Jesus at night. He does not want everybody to see him meeting with Jesus, but he knows Jesus is the Savior. He says, talking about the Sanhedrin, we know you are from God because no one could do the miracles you're doing unless you are from God. But he has questions and he doesn't want to stick his neck out and lose his position, lose his reputation. That man was also a Pharisee. But you know what? Three years later, when Jesus' body hung on the cross and when it was taken down, that man and another man, Joseph of Arimathea, were bold enough to say, position in the Sanhedrin, who cares? This is my Savior. And they went and asked for his body, even though they didn't realize he was going to rise again. And Nicodemus provided the aloes and myrrh. By the way, at that time in that culture, that was considered women's work, but they had minutes before the sun would set. They wanted to prepare his body he, uh, because they loved him for, and give him a proper burial. And you know what? Nicodemus had become a believer and would speak up. So Jesus says to you and I, when the thorns of this world, when its worries and cares are haunting us, that part of last week's sermon text, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How receptive are you being towards God's word? Are the thorns of this world choking you? Come talk to me. Let's apply the word of God to that. But keep coming to the word. It will deepen that root into the soil. And, you'll, and God will show you his love. 
Now, the last soil, we're told, is, is verse 8. And some other seeds fell upon the soil, specifically the good kind that was yielding fruit. And some seed gave 100 fruits, other seed gave 60 fruits, and other seed gave 30. He who has ears, let him start and continue hearing. Again, when I plant my squash and my pumpkins, sometimes I'll have just one plant that'll grow everything that I'm going to get for that year. Sometimes the largest pumpkin comes from one plant and it's the only fruit on it. Other times I get all kinds of pumpkins off of one vine. It's not the amount, because we have different gifts we give, right? And Jesus explains who this is. He says in verse 23, And the one in whose case the seed was sown upon the good kind of soil is the man who hears the word and comprehends it. He surely keeps on bearing fruit and producing some of his fruit, uh, 100-fold, others of his fruit is 60-fold, and another of his fruit is 30-fold. This is, would be at the end of your life when God looks back. Yeah, I think at the end of our lives, we're going to find out sometimes we didn't realize how much encouragement we were to our neighbor, how much God was using us. And it reminds us of the parable of the talents where the guy's going to take off and be coronated as king. So he entrusts each of his servants a talent that only focuses on three guys. One comes back and says, I put this to work and it earned ten. Another guy says, I earned five. Jesus' story uh, to, to those guys is, well done, good and faithful servant. One says, you know, you gave, Lord, but I knew you were stingy, so I just buried it. Here you go. You wicked servant. He viewed his Lord as a taskmaster. Well, the person who receives fruit, God gives you and I the spiritual and natural gifts. Some will be like the Apostle Paul, who started out with seed thrown on the trodden path and end up producing a hundred fruits. Some will have been there to bring up their children and, say, and assure their neighbor. The amount of fruit is not what matters. It's that you're alive. Has the word made your heart fertile soil? God's word, the good news of salvation in Christ does this. And the beauty is oftentimes, even though this is at the end of our life when God takes a look and says, yep, there was your faith at work. You and I sometimes are privileged that somebody comes and says, I don't know how you knew what to say, but you comforted me with the word of God. How encouraging is that? And so Jesus in verse 18 says, therefore you yourselves hear the parable about the sower and he also uh, said, uh, he who has ears, let him start and continue hearing. God's word, the law, rips open our heart like a plow blade explaining that we can't save ourselves and that we need a savior. But the gospel is the seed, the good news that God did all the work and he creates faith in our hearts through it. Amen. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, both soul and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.